about kind of like light from the rain, perhaps outside and all that. Um, we'll get there today, don't worry, we're all still waking up, it's just it's a Sunday. So for Niels, why don't you introduce what you do as a musician? So, um, so obviously I, uh, I write my own music, I play my own music, but I'm also doing a lot of uh, mixing and trying to get into production, and I'm also working on an upcoming project I'm not sure if I'm supposed to talk about it just yet. It's got to do with video games. Yeah. And it doesn't have anything to do with Hasbro, does it? Um... And Norman, how about you? Tell a little about your show. Now, if you were here yesterday, you would have seen uh, Norman's panel as well. Hi, um, I do a podcast every week, and it's free, and how I do this, I talk about everything MLP and LP, MLP related, but I do try to expect a lot of things when we talk about movies, video games, and whatever, it's of our interest. And usually that would be really cheesy movies. Have any of you heard Kung Pao Enter the Fist? <laughs> no? <laughs> no? So, I would highly recommend you go watch that. It is a video game. Entertaining movie. Okay, now you all three have very different skill sets. Uh, two of you are involved in music, and one of you are involved in uh, talking behind a microphone more than singing. It's nothing, there's, no, there's nothing wrong with that, Norman. Nothing at all. It's an art form to find words to compile into sentences. But um, as a person who's worked with him on the NDS show, I've also heard him sing before. So I want to ask all three of you, you know, um, despite being in different parts of uh, working behind a microphone, sign with Michelle, do you think your skills are interchangeable? Um, hello, hello, hello. Is it on? Yeah. Yeah, it's on. Oh, oh, there we go. I think, uh, no, I don't know. Yeah, it's okay. All right, awesome. We'll, we'll just trade back and forth. Uh, yeah, I think uh, interchangeable... I'm not sure that's the right word. I think um, there's a lot of crossover in the skill sets. I think um, singing really helps with um, acting, and acting and having good diction really helps with singing. Um, because in a lot of way, in a lot of ways, you know, acting when you're saying a sentence, it sort of is a song. You have to memorize the way your pitch goes to make it sound natural. Right, especially in theater and voice acting, because it's very premeditated. It's very, you know, focusing on specific um, timing things, and and uh, oftentimes in voice acting, it's like a sentence goes really big and then really small, and that's what makes it funny. So it is sort of um, a song in itself when you're speaking. So a lot of uh, a lot of different skills are relevant to each other. I would say. Okay. Yeah. So Mills, about what about you? Do you think um, your life within this within a studio and on stage and things like that? Do you think that there's a lot of louder? Hi everyone. Your skills, especially since you you are both a performer and a recording artist, just like Michelle. Do you say that there are a lot of similarities between the two? Do you think that if you have one skill, you automatically have the other? Um, I mean, not necessarily. I mean, of course, like, there's still different things. Apples and bananas are fruits, but they're still different. Um, I mean... Have you done that together before? Want to do it later? <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, uh, rephrase question, sorry? Yeah, uh, do you think that if you have one set of skills, you have the other automatically? Um... Okay, when you say that, I'm automatically thinking about like like playing musical instruments because like I, I started playing the piano when I was uh, seven, and I only got to the guitar when I was like 15, 14, or something like that. And um, fundamentally, you kind of go, okay, well, I know this is a C, you know, this is a D, E, F, G, da 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 da. But there's still the whole learning how to ride a bike again. You kind of gotta like program your fingers to, to, to work in, in different ways. So fundamentally, you know what's going on. It makes things easier. It doesn't automatically give you the skills, but you kind of like, you have the fundamentals. And I guess, um, voice acting will give you the fundamentals to sing something along those lines, but it's always useful, like experience in general. So in that context, Norman, do you think that your skills in the podcasting, I mean, it doesn't matter, you've been on this for what, six years? Five, six, five years. Um, 2012 you started. I started 2012, of February. Yeah, five years of podcasting. Uh, do you think now that you've done this, I mean, I, I don't know, do you do any other 
media work? Do you do MCing or anything like that? See, the thing about podcasting is mostly about talking and listening. The most important part is listening. And since I don't have an editor, well, technically I don't have a robot doing it, but I'll do most of the editing. And it's mostly about hearing what does this person like to use as is in between. Some people like to use, uh, you know, um, and crash words, you know, like you just keep using those same words again and again. Yes, and it's finding those things to, well, either if you want to do it, sorry, if you want to do extra work, you can slip it off or you can just give it in. Sometimes you kind of cut it off in the beginning to make it sound more professional and figure off near the end because you're too lazy to kind of edit things. Because editing an hour long audio is kind of tedious and boring. But it's, it's the point. The point is listening to people, understand them, and get to know them. So, I would say that you can DJ, but it's not a scene. Okay, yeah, that, that's a good point. Uh, the thing is, when you come, when you come to the speaking part, would you, would you say that being a podcaster has made you feel more confident to be able to take up a role, like becoming an MC? Or are you saying something like, if you're an MC, you're more like, you're more easily a podcaster because, you know, you can talk already kind of thing? It's kind of different. It, it depends on person to person, because I've been doing this for five years now, and whenever I flub a line, I can edit it out, but if I'm doing it live, if I flub a line, I could, I just roll it, because I know that they'll laugh for a bit, and then they'll just remember that bit until somebody does something else, something amazing, and, hey, do you remember what he did? No. What did he do? Oh, I saw the show dancing, so whatever he did is gone. So you just have to roll with punches and kind of go along with the jokes, whatever it is. I think I can test that. Like, what was, what was the third song? What was the fourth song I sang last night? Uh, Trick question, I did sing a fourth song. <laughs> so, so that's my song. <laughs> yeah, I sang, right, I sang your song. <laughs> song the theory works. Ladies and gentlemen, I forgot. Yes, what's up? The theory works, because I forgot. <laughs> and, okay, there's a, yes, I have to say sorry, Les, because whenever I'm on, audio seems to derp a lot, because I remember last year at um, Friendship Express, when we talked to Michelle here, we had audio problems. No, we had Skype problems. Oh, yeah, that too, but it seems to have relating to our guests. I have technology problems, he has audio problems. Combine it together, you put Skype in the mix. <laughs> Ooh, boy. And that's why we moved to Discord now. Yes. <laughs> Okay, uh, you want to say something, Sean? Oh, no. You were testing the mic. Oh, I was testing the mic, yeah, I think that. <laughs> yeah. All right, okay. Now, um, I am a, uh, my day job is that I'm a newscaster with a local YouTube channel, not TV station. And there's a big, big difference there. Like Norma mentioned, you know, when you make a mistake, you can take a step back. If you're alive, it's a whole different game. And um, for those of you who know me personally, I can tend to curse if I make some mistakes, and that's something that is a big no-no when the camera is live or you're live on stage like I am right now. And basically, yeah, being able to record doesn't mean you're able to perform, being able to perform doesn't mean you're able to record. But I think what we can establish is the fundamentals are pretty much like somewhere, they have, there is a common denominator there, right? Do you all agree? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, when you all entered into your respective fields and uh, for some of your careers, did you jump in there knowing what you wanted to specialize in or did you take a sampler, look around and like, okay, let me try beat voiceover, no, that didn't work for me, let me try uh, singing, maybe not, let me try this, that, this, that, and uh, did you have to sample everything and take a pick or did you choose something and say, I'm going straight to this path and I want to really focus on it? I think I've always believed in keeping my doors open. And I still don't really know which specific avenue of the entertainment industry I would pick if I had, if I had to just pick one thing. I get asked that all the time. What's your favorite thing to do? Singing, voice acting, home TV, dancing, all the songwriting. And I say nowadays my answer is songwriting, but that could change because a couple years ago I probably would have said film and TV acting. Um, so when I was younger, I think 
I've just always known that I wanted to be an entertainer, no matter what platform that means. Um, I love being live. I love being on stage. I love interacting with an audience. Um, and that was very clear to me and my parents, like <laughs> from the age of two, um, because my parents were doing a, a big Christmas show at the School Elizabeth Theater in Vancouver. You know, bunch of a bunch of people in this in this theater, and uh, I was two years old. And I and at the end of the concert, I ran up on the stage, and I was like, yeah, I want to be on stage with mom and dad. So right then and there, like, oh yeah, this this, this girl wants to be on stage. Um, so I, I don't think I still really know what specific avenue I would choose if I to just pick one. But I don't believe you really have to. I don't think anyone should just have, like, that's one of the things I actually kind of struggle with with the idea of cutie marks because it, in a way I feel like it kind of limits people depends on, depending on how much they um, rely on those symbols. Like a destiny kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's really cool that, you know, that shows that everybody has their, like, unique special talent, but I think it's important, especially for kids when they're watching the show, to not get the idea that they only have to do that one thing. Mm-hmm. And that's what the Cutie Mark Crusaders, I think, also help people with. Yeah, and I think the Cutie Mark Crusaders, all of them have a form of, like, a hybrid Cutie Mark effect. Almost. Yeah, exactly. They represent that ability to branch out from just the one thing that you're meant to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I uh, have to say that, I'm not really asking y'all to choose one, but like the choices you have made. Like, I mean, you 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 can do theater, you can sing, you can dance, you can song, but let's just say somebody asked you, hey, do you want to try and take up um for the for the sake of argument, newscasting? Would you be open to it, or would you say that you know that's not my thing? I will try something else. Yeah, yeah, I I would be open to it, um, especially since all the live performances I've done over the years has given me the skill set skill set. Um, to be very comfortable talking to an audience and uh, having no room for mistakes, really. And if there are mistakes, you have to improvise and fix things and go back on something you didn't really want to say and that kind of stuff. I'm used to that pressure, and it doesn't it doesn't bother me. I don't get nervous to be talking in front of people. So I think that's another example of having the skill set from, you know, all these live performances could transfer into another form of the entertainment industry quite easily, I think. Okay. Yeah. Um, just try something new, like, um, now did you go into this, like, I want to be a music, because, I mean, I know you love being on stage, yeah. but did you ever feel like, uh, okay, I want to be an MC, and then just focus on that, or did you keep the door open to music, or did you choose music and say, this is it? See, it was, it's kind of always been music, like, music's kind of been a big thing in my house since I was about three, so it's like, I've always wanted to do, like, something. Whether it's being behind stage or on stage or like um, some CDs in the back of the band that's on stage, like something. And um, to this day, I don't exactly know what. Like half of me kind of wants to go back home and start a band and like do classic rock or something. I don't know. And then the other half of me kind of wants to sit in the back and kind of like be in the recording booth or recording another band and getting them up on stage. I am really all about, like, I think I kind of agree with you on the, on the basis that I just like to entertain whether it's myself or, or if it's getting someone else up there. And um, I can't give a definite answer, really, but to play it safe, music's kind of just always been it. Um, I'm not really quite sure what else to add to that, really. I think what we gather from this, from both you and Michelle, is that both of you have this uh, underlying common desire to entertain, correct? Yeah. And Norman, is that, is that prevalent in you? Do you do this to entertain? Do you do, is that your purpose? Well, I think we all go into this just to make a smile on the street, just to get a smile out of someone, just to hear them laugh, just to hear them have a good day or something like that. And in my case of branching out, I've done that. You all know that I've done news shows, kind of, well, talk about only news, and we review episodes on the same day, but that doesn't seem kind of correspondent. So I branched it out to another segment. So I have two things now. So after doing that for a while, talking about episode reviews, comic reviews, and also movie reviews for the Pony show, I thought it's not out yet. No, I mean, talking about... Did you see it? 
Okay, so carry on. So I thought, hey, could we do something else? Because there's the hiatus is over, so there's no more content. So let's try something new. So me and Silver, our first of topic was destiny or PDB in general. So try it out, people seem to like it, and we carry on with hey, let's talk about movies like Batman the Kicking Joke. Or hey, let's do a peer review of movies that you watch, what you like, what you dislike. By the way, Michael Bay's Transformers is terrible. <laughs> but in the I'm end, the germaphobic, I don't like explosions. But in the end, it's branching up makes you talk about new things, makes you think faster, makes you view things in a brighter light. Right? Look, look at things in a different way. Like, Back then, if I were to say, if someone was to ask me, hey, what do you think about the Hunger Games? I would say, ah, it's a rip off of Battle Royale. But now, I'm open to the fact that, hey, let me go watch it, and I'll give you my thoughts. So, it makes me open-minded now to other things. But, again, we're talking, uh, would you agree that the underlying thing, that you, the purpose, you know, that the purpose that drives you to Turn that mic on every Saturday and Sunday is that you want to entertain your audience. That is true. Alright. I think that that's something that is really important in the entertainment industry now. I think we've established that. I would love to say the same thing, but I'm a newscaster. And there's no news like bad news. I tried to make it entertaining, like I watched John Oliver and I watched Timo Kobe. My current favorite is Full Frontal with Samantha Lee. And Oh, you know that show? Great. And the thing is that I would love to do that, but in a country with, you know, very restricted freedom of speech, you could get in deep, deep, deep trouble. So, unfortunately, entertaining is a very difficult task in some parts of this job and, you know, in this industry. And, uh, but one thing that we established, I think all of us here, aside from my newscasting job, right, my, my life as a musician as well, we're all here to entertain our audience. Even if it, you know, it's not entertaining in that kind of uh, respect of just being, you know, fun and making everybody smile. Just give me a moment, my phone has decided to become my enemy today. It's okay. Ain't that part of the process then? We were just talking about this. Yeah, like <laughs> Big shout out to my main man, Murphy. What's up, Murphy? Alright, here we go. Um, now, uh, it's, it's, it's a bit of a follow-up question. How did you find this calling? How did you find that, that you know, the, that the audience... I mean, Michelle said that it was from that moment you went up on stage when you were two years old, which is, you know, that's a really, really, really fond memory. I don't think I remember anything about being two. Oh, I don't remember it either. <laughs> I just, you know, that's just sort of a defining moment in that... that my parents talk about sometimes. I, I don't really remember anything before probably four, and then after that I have maybe three or four memories that I can recall distinctly. I don't, I don't have a very good long-term memory, but um, that's it was just an example of uh, how adamant I was on like, being on stage with my parents and everybody. So on your own accord, when did you discover your calling? Um, hmm. Well, I don't think I can recall something from my own memories that I can actually like relive where I recognize that that's what I wanted to do because it's always been you know the underline of my existence almost <laughs> like yeah I just it was just very very clear to me that I needed to be entertained like I, I there wasn't one instance where it hit me it was just always a part of my life I mean, even before I was born, I was in my mom's stomach and she was recording her album and teaching and yeah, and I went home and after, I was a couple weeks old and mom and dad started teaching up again and we, and we had a music school in our house uh, and so mom would let me sit in on her on the classes and she just hold me in her lap and I'd just watch it and I'd be immersed in these music classes and then when I was older, starting at two, <laughs> I do all these performances with them. I did a lot of theater. Um, then I did all that uh, 
all of that voice acting stuff for the Mason Academy program. I was talking about that yesterday. For those of you who weren't here, basically for seven years I did this um, these uh, interactive audio books and visual books for um, for Japanese children to teach them how to speak English. And that was one of the first professional things I started working on at the age of five, I think. And um, but my first professional voice acting gig was at four. So. You know, I really, I, I don't know if I can pull one memory from my from my past and, and pinpoint that as, as the specific realization. I think it's just always been there. It's always been a part of me. And it always will. But there's no getting rid of it. <laughs> okay. uh, you, have, you have a musical, but so does Niels. Niels was talking about how his family is quite musical. And uh, I met his music, the musical part of his family, and they're amazing people as well. And the, the thing is that for some of us, uh, perhaps it's an Asian stereotype, not meaning to be racist or anything, but a lot of Asian parents can just fling their children into piano school just to make them play the piano. And the thing is that, you know, they'll keep that piano probably full wide open in the house where they tell the whole neighbor, hey, my son knows how to play the piano! That, that kind of thing tends to happen here quite a bit. But it also, in my experience, has actually driven some of my friends away from music because they're like forced into it. But what I see is that you come from an environment that loves music and really just wants to spread the goodness of it rather than the discipline of it as a first shot. So, Niels, you want to say anything about how you got your calling? It's, uh, it's really weird because when you talk about that Asian stereotype, like we've kind of like succumbed to that a little bit. Like I was the last one in the family, I think. Uh, family as in like including all the cousins and everything. Um, where it kind of went like, um, so I was like thrust into playing piano. Like I saw, uh, my dad was playing piano, he was playing jazz and everything. And he was kind of like, yeah, my son's gonna play piano. And I, I was like, okay, okay, dad. I just kind of want to play video games the other room. But okay, sure. Um, I failed grade five. Um, and um, I just kind of went to my mom and was like, yo, this, this is not working out. It's just not happening. So um, that didn't necessarily mean I wanted to stop because, um, and you were talking just now about like the first realization of um, what made me want to get into this industry or what made me want to do, uh, want to do what I do. It's, um, yeah, I, I can't pinpoint anything myself either, but um, I think it's also like, it's not so much that you remember something, but it's kind of a reminder every time you do it, like a bit of a rush, like every time you go on stage, you're like, oh yeah, this is why I do it, I, I, I love this, I want to do it again, so next week, uh, and the next show, you kind of go, last week was great, this week's going to be great too, and then it happens the next weekend, and the next weekend, and the next weekend, you just keep doing it and doing it, you completely forgot where you came from, and you just like, that's really just live in the moment, and that's it, don't go on the past. So, fun fact about Friendship X, Niels and I, the two people who performed before Michelle Freeber, he failed grade 5, I failed grade 8. Both, both people failed music exams but performed. <laughs> and, you know, we, I think he's right, you know, we never let that passion die despite the, the discipline being shoved down our throat against our will. We just kind of found what we love about it and stuck to it. Would you say that, Niels? Uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> now, how about you, Norman? Like, what, did your whole family have an iPod and, like, everybody was downloading podcast episodes every week? I would be surprised if we had downloaded in the early 90s. <laughs> well, that's when the early iPod came out, wasn't it? Like, I mean, the, the word podcast, it used to be called webcasting a lot, for a lot of places, but the, the popularity of the Apple iPod um, created the term podcasting because it allowed people to download the episodes every week into their iPod to listen. So, um, how did that start for you? Well, earlier in my youth, I like to hear a lot of TV podcasts, and I always thought that wow, this is so much fun, I wish I could do this, but I don't have anyone who has the same interest in me. And then I think you know some piece of the story of how we started, of how this show started. Mm -hmm. It was at a friend's house because I saw a few Yeti. Aha, yes. In fact, uh, he's not he's not here with us today, but we were actually at a Brony meetup. I think, was it a Chinese New Year one or something? No, it was the Art Jam. Oh yes, the Malaysian Bird Society Art Jam, and we actually recorded what we call episode zero, which nobody's allowed to listen to. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I declined to answer. 
answer. <laughs> but uh, basically, the podcast episode was that was the birth of like uh, just a random bunch of people sitting in a circle talking and recording it. And I think we listened to it a couple of times, and you would listen to it a couple of times. I, I think I listened to it. Uh, no, you were the one that listened to it. But in my head, I was thinking, oh no, this is really too long. We're not focused. We're not focused. But oh no, this is getting. So you kind of picked up on uh, the techniques of podcasting from the previous listenings you had, and you wanted to apply it into your own uh, yeah, but project. For what we did, that was a train wreck. Oh yeah, yeah. no, no disagreements there. Yeah. But I kind of cherry pick from what I listened to, and at the same time, I evolve it to a more near, more relaxed kind of show now. Because back in the day, we had a script, we followed everything through to a team, which meant no leeway for. Sideways, more no freedom. Now the show is okay. This is this is this. Read, take opinion, and have fun. If you're not having fun, why do it, right? Uh, being a newscaster is a big job, so I get paid to do it. You know? <laughs> but I, I have fun with the job as well. I love my job because it allows me to. You know, every day I practice. Uh, well. I read from a teleprompter, which is that, that little screen from a camera that scrolls your text. So no, I don't do a lot of memory work. I have garbage memory. Uh, Norman, you do a lot of improv, don't you? Like your script is very just outline-ish, and then you just uh, like expand on points, correct? That was way back then. Now it's just, hey, this is the link. Click on it, and then wing it. Oh wow, okay, that way. Yeah, but sometimes it makes you think fast, like, oh, this is this. Can I segue into the next one? If I can, I'll make a bad segue and I'll um, highlight it. And then it'll make it funny or not funny. And then we'll carry on. So that goes to the whole part of picking yourself up after you fail. So for Norman, I think we can establish that uh, start, his starting point was this, where he is, uh, you started as a person who does recordings. So you, you do a lot of post-production, correct? Oh yeah. So your, your, life, your, your life behind the microphone, technically speaking, is as a person who... Uh, records, edits, and delivers. Yes. But uh, for Michelle and me, as both of you, did you start as recording artists or as performers? I started off as a performer. Um, well, actually, uh, what would you say, Mom? What would you I say would, came first? I would say simultaneously because yeah. More True. Okay, then I'm simultaneously. Wow. <laughs> yeah. No, that's what I was expecting because I thought some people would, because we used to argue that um, a recording artist is not necessarily a good performer and a good performer is not necessarily a good recording artist because, you know, on stage, everything you do is correct. Even your mistakes. But in the recording studio, your mistakes are a mistake. You better go back and redo it. So, um, that's true. The, the room for error is there, but they're both completely different things. So, Mills, how about you? Uh, were you a recording artist first, were you a performer first? Um, see, I mean, see so just to interrupt you, we didn't have iPhones and stuff back in the day, so little YouTube uploads with all that, uh, that's not what I mean. What I mean, recording artists is like you actually pipe in takes and you, uh, you know, you actually do a good composite, good song that's mastered and release and stuff. That's such a difficult question to, to answer or even think about because I don't it's not a cheap and big question. What's so difficult I, about I, it? I can't. I can't do it. Like I I love being on stage and I love performing live. Like honestly, music to me is really just being there in front of whoever is either listening to uh, or is listening to you or you are listening to. And that to me is what music is, but then at the same time, I also really love being behind the computer going, that takes good, that takes not, that takes good, that takes not, and I, I really love perfecting and mastering uh, that kind of stuff, and um, fundamentally, I guess I could say I love performing a lot more, because I really like the... No, I'm not asking you you love more, where did you start? Okay, okay, where I started, okay, sorry, I sidetracked a bit. Um, right, where I started was literally in front of my dad going, yeah, listen to this, like, yeah, let's get a bit more, and it just ended up being a lot more of just performing in front of my family whenever they were around the, they were around the piano, 
Was it the type that, hey, your uncle's here, you take the cat off her head kind of thing? I had a lot of that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you. There was a lot of that. There was a lot of... Um, oh gee, there was this one time that my mom wanted me to play guitar here in front of my family, and I'm like, yo, now I'm a rock star. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so it was really just uh, performing, and um, it was performing first, and it was really just a lot of like casual things, and um, I think getting into uh, ponies was ex- actually probably the, the turning point where I started looking at this a bit more professionally and kind of, kind of went, okay, why don't I record things like professionally and try doing this for real? And because I've never actually, I've had written things here and there, but I've never actually like, sat down and tried to make something sound, um, get something on paper or get something in an MP3 format or whatever. And uh, seeing seeing a lot of my friends around the world kind of doing that, like Mike Microphone and Tombstone were doing that, and I'm like, yeah, I want to do that too. So I just kind of tag along for the band, and here I am, I'm starting to record, and it's all good. So Norman and Neil, both of you do the whole workflow on your own. Normally you record your episode, you edit your episode, you release, and you also record, edit, release. Uh, what about you, Michelle? Do you get involved in the edit, the mastering, and these things? Do you, do you uh, apply any discretion? Because... Um, you're familiar with what the loudness war is, correct? Sorry? The loudness war, which is, uh, um, you know, the question of mastering whether you want a dynamic track where the, you know, the soft and the louds are nice and distinct, or do you want something with a real, you know, the kind of, uh, CD releases that we have, especially during the, during these few days when a lot of music is just purely loud, and, uh, which is desirable to some platforms. Do you, get, do you get involved in after the recording, like after you finish recording, you go to the studio and say, hey, I like that, and you have that loud and things like that? Yes, I definitely get involved uh, when it's my own music. Um, I go in and I'm with my producer, and, and mom is also usually involved. Um, we go in and we uh, we edit together, and we pick and choose different takes. And but I'm not ever involved with mastering. That's not something that I'm ever taking part of. Part in. I have a great... Um, the person who does mastering, his name is Chris Potter. He's mastered pretty much all of our albums. He's the one of the best of the best. Um, very, very talented guy. But So I, I I trust him on that. I don't have any, um, I mean, I have feedback and stuff, but I don't usually go into the studio, into the studio with him and master. But I do, I am involved with um, the editing especially and sometimes the mixing, but that's also usually done by one of my producers in his own studio separately. Um, but, you know, when I'm recording MP3 auditions for voice acting, which happens a lot these days because a lot of it's sent via MP3s, kind of frustrating for us sometimes because, you know, you, it's unclear what they're looking for and then you can't respond to their feedback instantly. Um, but most of the big projects are casting through MP3s now. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Like, like, the setup or something simple? Yeah, so all, all, all us as voice actors have, you know, a simple setup at home. I'm lucky because my dad actually has an ISO booth and a full studio in our basement. He, yeah, we've always had one. Um, and so I usually go into his studio and instead of logic and stuff and record it and edit it myself. And I'll send it off. And when I'm recording, like, demos um, for a song idea, often logic is the program that I'm most familiar with. And if I want to sort of create... Uh, an outline for what I want my producer to do with uh, the instrumental of my song. I'll sometimes go in and actually like um, play in a piano part or pull in different loops and then edit that as well. So I'd say like when it's my personal projects, I'm definitely involved. But with professional voice acting gigs, you know, you're never involved with that process. We never see what happens after we record stuff. Yeah. So uh, I mean, with the stuff you release, you tend to get involved in the, the music. Yes, definitely. If it's my own music, I'm, I'm absolutely involved, yes, and I'm giving feedback, and uh, we're going back and forth. No. Okay. And uh, you have anything to add to that? Yes? Like about how you feel when you take everything from start to finish? Because uh, one problem that I face, because uh, most of the time I actually give meals a call. We don't, we don't live too far away from each other. I ask him, hey, can I have some advice? Can you come to my studio? Can you check it out? Now, the thing is, I use Logic. He doesn't, so... Uh, 
Logic is a software, by the way. I'm not meaning that in. <laughs> oh no, I don't use logic either way. So. Okay, so he will come over and then he will look at my setup and he'll tell me what I can improve about it, what I what I've done right, what I've done wrong, and things like that. So uh, a problem that we face is sometimes he's not available because he's busy, he's got his own life, I don't know why I'm So what happens is we listen to our own tracks and having our own set of ears, listen to our own thing. I think Norman also can comment on this. When you don't have a second set of ears to listen to your music, you tend to have, I, I tend to have this paranoia that I'm like, I've heard this so many times that it sounds good to me, but how does it sound to somebody else? How do you get over this problem? That's, oh my god, because that is story of my life, <laughs> and it's a blessing and a curse, because when you're doing, especially like creative media, Dude, um, I live 15 minutes away, you can call. I, I could, but at the same time, I'm like, picking up the phone, it's on the way out on the other side of the room. But um, anyway, um, what you said yesterday kind of like struck me was that um, the best, your, your best critic is yourself. And I think that's true because um, really at the same time, uh, I can't remember if that's what you said or if I'm paraphrasing or whatever, but um, really you're just doing creative media or art in general, like for yourself, because this is an expression of like how you see the world. At the end of the day, art is really just um, comment, yeah, it's expression. Yeah, and commentary on the culture that makes it. Um, so when I'm writing music, sometimes I'd like a second pair of ears just to know that it's like audible at least, um, but sometimes I kind of just go, you know what, I don't actually care you guys think what you guys think um, I just want to make this sound good to my ears and if it sounds good to my ears and not yours well you're lost how about you Norman like, do you ever feel like you you want to get a second opinion on an episode you edit sometimes or do you think your personal touch and personal uh, verdict on it is sufficient for your release um, in my opinion for my show specifically I want feedback like good, bad, whatever it is, I want that interaction so I can know what I'm doing, how to improve, or just your audience opinion on said topic that we have. Like, currently now, we do have a lot of feedback. Back then, when we were starting, it was barren. Like, the comment section on the YouTube is, like, no comments. But now, if I'm lucky, probably 100 plus, if not so, 10 or 20, give a day. But the interaction with the audience gets that closeness that you know what they want so you can gauge on what you're going to respond on your next show and so on and that gives you an idea of hmm, they like this kind of news so I'll try to focus more on that so you, you're talking about after you release your stuff but like right before have you ever gone to uh, I think podcast.com which you said you, your, your fingers on the upload button you're like okay should I put this up? Is it good? I listen to it. I think it's fine. Should I send it to somebody to give it one last listen? Do you ever have that, you know, thought in your head? Well, that is just the difference between music and podcasting, especially if it's half an hour, an hour long. The difference is, oh, I can listen to this for two to three minutes and I can gauge if it's good or not. Or, okay, oh god, I don't want to hear my own voice anymore. Oh god. <laughs> So you just listen to the wild and let the people critic you. Okay. It's not a good example of how to... Uh, I think you're right. Podcasting is its own different medium. All, uh, it's its own game. And uh, I, I don't know how many of you here have actually tried. I think most of us have tried just, you know, use your phone, record your own voice, play it back, and then you ask, was that me? <laughs> any, any of you ever felt that? Let's show hands. Yeah, it, it's, it's really interesting how our voice sounds different to us, you know, than what we hear because of the whole bone transmission, whatever yeah. funny thing that happens. Yeah, yeah. Here's, here's the thing, like, here on stage right now, we're hearing ourselves talk through the speakers. And what you are hearing that, it's, it's not basically. <laughs> <laughs> but still, are we hearing it? If I was not um, used to it, I would freak out. But instead me, oh, I'm, I'm self-conscious now, like, oh, I sound terrible. But since <laughs> I've been doing this for a while now, like, yeah, that's me, but, eh, I sound terrible, so let's move on. Speak for yourself, man. I, I sound great. 
So uh, um, now we'll get back into the respective parts of the industry, especially um, working in it. Uh, Michelle's doing professionally. You're just doing it as a hobby, but you're looking into getting professional. And are you looking into becoming a professional podcaster? Well, I'm trying to, but because of how the internet is now, there's a thing called Patreon. And that helps. It really helps for people who want to do it professionally but don't have an outlet for posting stuff like we have YouTube yeah we do have YouTube but at sense sometimes like how do you post like sometimes oh you mean for for a revenue stream yeah revenue like it's how do you post content what's the word that the YouTube ones I don't know subscribers no no the YouTube ones that kind of block your video or say that this is a was it Yes, thank you. So the content ID robots, they sometimes like we want to use this because we want to highlight the point, but no, the robots kind of says no, 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 this is not you. You cannot get money from this. Okay, I see. So you're you're saying that uh, you would if you had a better platform that you could publish your stuff on there. And Patreon seems to be the way to go because okay. you're getting money from your listeners. They're supporting you and they pay what they want. And with a good example with the robot is. We had Hemstone on once, uh-huh. and we used his song because he was on. It's the logic people do, right? Yeah. Robot says no. Okay. So, YouTube is okay for some, but for me, I tend to stay away from it. Alright, alright. Okay, fair enough. Uh, so, um, in your respective lines of... Uh, it's hard to use one word to sweep across here, but your life in the entertainment industry, I'd like to see, you know, what is your least favorite part of this uh, industry? I mean, I won't say the part that you hate, but perhaps something that... Because every time we go to something like becoming a musician, becoming a performer, becoming anything, there's always, it's always a package deal. And there's always something about it that we don't like. So, so for the people here who look at perhaps a musician and the life of a voice acting or something, and see, wow, it's so beautiful, so glamorous, everything is so perfect, there's nothing wrong with the job. What is the least favorite part that has bothers you? I mean, you could differ to between people. So, I'd like to hear from all three of you. Well, I touched on this a bit yesterday, but the rejection is very difficult. And you'll find it in every avenue of the arts. Um, and it's it's pretty consistent, even for professionals and people who've been doing it for a long time and have found a lot of success Nobody's going to be perfect for every role they audition for. That's unheard of. That's, you know, it's nobody's story. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it comes across as that stuff. Yes, exactly. And, and uh, then people assume, you know, the entertainment industry is, oh, you're saying that this glamorous, beautiful, beautiful world and everything's great and you book everything, but that's never the case. Um, you know, I've been, um, I'd like to say that the start of my professional career was the age of four, and then, well, sort of the age of four, and then really the age of six. Um, so I've been doing this for 12, 14 years professionally, just as an entertainer and, and a performer. Um, and I have faced years and years of rejection on top of, you know, like s- some amazing opportunities and success. But, um, and well, luck too. Luck is involved, and yeah, you got to be in the right place at the right time, and location matters and stuff. But you have to have a thick skin, and you have to not take things personally, because if you don't book something, that it almost never means that you don't have the skill set that they're looking for. It just they they have very very specific things in mind, and especially film TV it can really hurt. Um, you know, fragile hearts who, you know, don't comprehend that it's, their casting is very subjective. Oh, yes. They won't, you know, cast you for a role, even if you're perfect for it, if you're five foot four, they wanted somebody five foot five. You're out, right? And they can get that specific, especially with film and TV. And I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of people latch on to voice acting, because it doesn't matter how you look. It doesn't matter how you dress to a session. It's all, it's this very concentrated talent and skill right here. It's this skill set that's all in, in your voice and in your diaphragm. Um, so, definitely, I mean, 
probably most entertainers answer is the rejection and uh, also sometimes the experience of not really being able to appear as yourself and sort of having to put on a face it's not necessarily you and I've worked with a lot of you know the Disney Channel kids over the years. Um, you know about like method acting? No, not method acting, but um, you know the entertainment industry is is it can be very shallow, and people care about your appearance, and and they give you you know they label you, and and they expect a certain they they expect you to talk a certain way, to walk a certain way, and, and I don't I, I can't say I've experienced too much of that thankfully, um, because. One of my biggest successes, uh, successes has been in the voice acting industry, which again doesn't matter how you look. So I've been lucky in, in that way. But I've been, I've worked with a lot of the Disney Channel kids um, who grew up with their face everywhere, and they don't know who they are. And I've really noticed a trend with a lot of people, and they're lovely people and they're genuine, but they've been the spotlight. They've been in the spotlight for so long. Um, and as long as they can remember, they just don't have a sense of individuality. And I think that's also one of the downsides to the entertainment industry. It's unfortunate. But I, I you know, I haven't suffered too much of that. Um, especially now, like, I don't, I don't have suffered from that very much. But yeah, it's just another downside. I think, yeah, that's the, the part that we see, like, the Michelle being Apple Bloom, getting that role is like, that's the tip of the iceberg, really. That's the, the ones that you booked, correct? And many other things that you tried to submit for just uh, fell through the cracks and everything, right? Yeah. Um, they, they wouldn't be, they suddenly, perhaps they like it, but they said maybe that's not what you're looking for kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And I said this yesterday, but we only book, as actors and voice actors, we only book about 5%, 5% of all the auditions we do in a year. Yeah, I mean, maybe if somebody's really lucky and they're on a streak. And they get in with a certain director who's doing a bunch of different projects and they just want to keep casting them. Um, maybe they would go up to 10, 15, 20%, but no more than that. There's always so many auditions and it's just constant rejection. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm just curious to ask, I don't know how much you may know about this, but uh, as someone who followed animation prior to, what, prior to being a Miles and Pony fan, I used to watch Care Bears. And, uh, oh, yes. Oh, which one? Uh, I don't remember. Um, but I was I was a Care Bear like many years ago. I think when I was about ten. Um, oh wow! Probably I think heart something. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, probably my MVP. I need to look sure. this up now. <laughs> so uh, the the thing is that uh, why I mentioned Care Bears is because most of the VAs that I know that were the main characters, like uh, the main character of the Care Bears, the previous generation, was Tony Saint Germain, who was voicing Rarity and. Uh, School too about the characters. There was uh, Andrew Lippman as well, who now voices Pinkie Pie. So, you know, uh, from what I saw, this is just a question I'm not so sure if you know the answer, is that it just seems that there's a very small pool of people. Is that wrong? Yeah, it's actually a really good question. Um, the voice acting community in Vancouver is very small. Oh, really? The film TV community is bigger. It's about, I'd say, like, uh, they estimate about like 10,000 working actors. Um, but voice acting, like, there's a core 200 of us, and then there's like, you know, 30 adults who are just constantly working. A lot of them are on My Little Pony. Then, as you mentioned, like, Andrew Lemon and Tabitha St. Germain, um, they've been doing it for very long and had tons of success, mostly because they've worked really hard and they're extremely talented and, um, you know, and then humble about it too. They're really genuinely talented and hardworking people. Okay. But it is a, it is definitely a small pool. I wonder. Okay. Makes sense now. Um rejection where we would talk about. No, no, what the the thing you highlight like, the least the least, the least, the least yeah. yeah. I mean you don't have to hate it and hate the strong word. Oh, okay. I'm not here for that um, okay, well, I mean, this actually might bother me to hate, maybe, because um, it's definitely strong feelings, very passionate feelings. Uh, rejection is, um, yeah, kind of, but not really, I never quite thought of, I mean, yeah, uh, naturally, it's, it's difficult when, when you make something and no one likes it, like, naturally, that's, that, that can be very difficult. 
But to me, I've kind of always gone about things that, to this day, I don't expect anything to get many views. I don't expect uh, many things to be heard by that many people. So I'm like, okay, whatever. If people like it, that's a blessing. And if people don't, then uh, whatever. But then sometimes it gets to the point where you kind of work really hard on things. Um, you, you, you'll spend maybe about five years on an album. Yeah, my, my, my biggest album, go check that. How does mixtape voice? Um, and it wouldn't sell or do nearly as well as you, you originally thought it was going to be, considering how much work you put into it. And it's not so much that people didn't like it. Uh, people loved it. Like people, people who heard it, they came up to me and told me how much they liked it. And like, God knows, I'm really grateful for that. But the fact that a lot of work went into something that didn't reach out as far as I wanted it to, sometimes I can get to you and sometimes you can kind of question yourself, go like, what's the point of any of this when I'm the only one I'm entertaining? Like, again, we're, we're all here to entertain and like, the first priority is I, I, I want to entertain you guys. But if it's not getting across, then like, what's the point? So sometimes you gotta have thick skin and go, if, if this is not working, you gotta try harder next time. You just gotta keep going, keep going. And one day I'll reach out to more people and, um, that's endgame, I guess. I guess there really isn't ever endgame for, for this kind of stuff. So are you saying we should never give up? It's the name of this album. Go check it out. So Norman, what about you? What do you like the least about being a podcaster? Well, rejection is... Aside from audacity correction. <laughs> But enough for me, or he doesn't crash on me. Luckily for me. So don't let me into your house anymore. <laughs> but um, seriously, um, rejection is one of the things. The way, the way we did the show back when is, I'll try and get a person on to interview, to talk to. And sometimes it's great, like, oh, I'll get Mills on. And she says, yeah, I'll be on. And I'll get Michelle here on. And she says, yeah, can we do this thing? And yeah, we'll do it. But sometimes, like, I'll ask Larson. He says, uh, no, no, no good, so no. So I'm like, oh, sad. I'll ask the new. He says, no. And it's, it goes on like, if I ask 10 people, I'll get rejected. Seven, it kind of brings you down and says, why am I doing this anymore? It's hard. It's like, soul crushing. I want to give up. But then think, if nobody wants to come, then I'll change. I'll do something else that I, I'll change the format of it. And I still keep asking people on, but if nobody wants to come, I won't be deterred as much before. So, rejection is one of those things too. Uh, for that matter, I'd like to share a memory of uh, one of my early days as a performer is that I used to sing in a choir and we got word that Peter Pan the Musical was coming to Malaysia, not particularly Kuala Lumpur, they went to this place in Dinting, the Arena of Stars, I'm not mistaken. I can't remember the line that he read in the corner. And uh, they said, hey, we're having, we're doing local auditions for uh, the Lost Boys in the, you know, the Peter Pan, those boys that were, you know, Neverland running around and being mischievous and all that. And uh, one thing that got me confused for so many years is that the whole bunch of us that came from the same choir, I think there were about six of us, five of us passed every stage of the audition to the final stage. And then they just lined us up on the stage. They pulled out 10 people and told the rest to go home. And we didn't know what the heck we did wrong. Like, we passed every stage. Everyone else that didn't make it to that stage was sent out of the hall. And there were just like 20 of us on the stage. They pulled 10 out and the rest of us get lost. I was probably about eight at that time. And perhaps now, for all of you here who are interested in getting in a, excuse me, in a career, in uh, anything to do with performing, especially getting cast into anything. I think the advice that you heard from both Niels and Michelle is priceless here. Don't take it personally. You know, I, 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 until now they never sent me a letter or anything, but eventually learned, yeah, I don't have the face of a lost boy, even though I can get, I have a terrible sense of direction, I don't have the face of a lost boy. And, uh, you know, for me, I like to just talk about my least favorite part of the job, my 
being a newscaster, because it's, I think being a newscaster is significantly different from what you all do. It's a bit similar to podcasting, and uh, again, I don't do it live. Although I have done uh, something live in that context, which was the practice of live at Hakon, which is broadcasted from the same TV studio I work in. The kind of thing that bothers me the most, when I tell my friends, they ask me, hey, Daniel, you work with uh, this company, I work for TV, and they, and they ask me, hey, how do you like your job? I say, listen, I love my job. I really love my job. But I really can't stand the work. Because, again, there's no use like bad news. We've got people tearing up the streets sometimes. People getting hurt. People getting killed. All sorts of garbage happens in our news these days. And uh, I tell my, my friends, hey, you don't like the news. You don't like what's playing on CNN. You can go switch on over to uh, Fox or something else and BFK or switch off the TV altogether. I can't do that. I see something sickening in the news, or worse, worse still, because I also am a journalist. I'm on the field, and I see something completely disgusting. I can't turn it up. It's my job. I can't leave the scene. I can't run away. And the thing, the thing about it is that, despite all that, I can, I can come back to the newsroom. I can tell the camera that, and I know that my purpose here, maybe it's not to entertain in terms of make you smile, and probably make you want to throw your remote at your TV, but it's like... I brought this to you, and that keeps me going. I will keep you entertained. That's why I, that's why I used to say, have a great weekend at the end of my uh, Friday newscast and things like that. Because I, I tell my audience, I'll see you again, because I want to. Even though I'm staring at a camera lens and not an actual person, I say, I'll see you again. Because, you know, the, the bad part of the job is that I have to do what I have to do. I have to say what I have to say. But then again... There's a purpose to it, and I, I believe in that purpose. When it comes to music, the least favorite part of the job is that, well, it's not job, I'm not a full-time musician. The least favorite part of it, for me, is something that uh, I think Jack answered very well on the PMB panel yesterday. Writer's block. When you write a song, and you just get stuck in that roadblock, can't move, and you just can't finish a song, can't finish writing a song, because where are you going to draw your inspiration from? There's nothing to draw it from. But sometimes, and something I have to give this entire fandom an amazing amount of credit and love for, and the show that we all love, is that prior to becoming a brownie, my music was completely stagnant. I wrote like 10, 15 songs. I had a digital audio workstation, which is audio software for composing. I just didn't feel bothered or, you know, in a way, motivated to do anything. But having a fandom like this to be able to perform at Friendship X for all of you kind of gave me a push to, you see, get get down, sit down in front of the computer. And it's late, it's 3 in the morning, you know, my alarm clock says it's 3 hours to you're supposed to wake up. But I couldn't care less. I'm just on the computer and I wouldn't stop. And um, my parents are telling me one day I'm going to get a complaint from the neighbor night, but nothing like that bothers me anymore in that sense. And can you say the same? I know you can't speak for your neighbors, but like, <laughs> would you say that a lot of the perks, everything that you do in this industry, in this line of work, and the results you get from it just outweighs all of these, you know, dislikes and all the, you know, the down parts of it? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, when I'm talking about the rejection, I'm really specifically talking about casting. Um, that's the part that I kind of struggle with, just because um, I'm not. It's not the you know if someone has a negative opinion of me, that doesn't bother me. I if I if I see a, a hate comment on YouTube, I'm not I'm not bothered by that. I'm not bothered by strangers' opinions about like of me if they're negative. I only really care about you know. The opinions of people I respect and care about, and if people are just going to be negative and don't know me, then that doesn't bother me. I'm like, okay, well, that you know, if that's your own insecurity. That's just you being negative. I don't need to be a part of that. Doesn't that doesn't affect me? Um, and even now, like you know, the frustration of if you can't book something for a couple months, that's something that as I've grown older, I've begun to accept, and I work on stuff that I have control over. So I work on my music, and I, you know. I start projects with my colleagues and, and that kind of stuff can keep you busy with other, keep yourself busy with other stuff. Um, but absolutely, the negative always, um, <laughs> the positive always the negative, definitely for me. 
Um, and I, I'm going to keep being an entertainer. I know I will be for the rest of my life. No matter what that means. Who knows? <laughs> okay, so you're open to perhaps change the path for a big individual who comes your way. But then again, for opinion newscasters, it's very difficult to tell whether people like or don't like your stuff. Because when I report about something really disgusting that happens, we get like 30 dislikes on the video. Like, do you dislike me or do you dislike the news I'm talking about? It's very hard to tell. Okay. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yes, go ahead. Um, close up in the comments. Yeah. Well, I mean. Well, of course they do, but I'm trying to like. It, it, can, it can get incredibly overwhelming at, at times that um, the, the number of cons there are, like sometimes, like most of the time, um, of course I'm going to say the pros are really cons, but sometimes it's like pros are 51% and the cons are 49%. Um, but at, at the end of the day, like you kind of just kind of look at the glass half full, you know what I'm saying, um, and go... That's why I want to ask, the pros and cons, the way you put that 49-51, yeah. is that... Uh, how you perceive it, how you receive it. How I, um, I, um, yeah, it really comes down to like how I perceive it. Okay. Yeah, because like, um, again, I, do, I don't entirely care about, um, yeah, uh, I don't care about the negative opinions and the, the um, whatever I, whatever I receive, um, what people think about, um, what I do, and it's, it all comes down to what am I getting out of this uh, personally? Um, yeah, I'm, just, I'm really just uh, making music for myself and putting it up there as like an expression of of what I'm doing. I'm like it's gonna sound cool, but it's like I'm not doing it for you kind of thing. Um, it's really just I'm doing this for me. Do you want to check it out? Kind of, and that's where the reward comes from. And the numbers will fluctuate all over the place um, sometimes. The pros will be at 80 or 90, and sometimes the pros will be at 51, but never under 50. But doesn't this contradict what you, you, you say about you, your purpose is to entertain? Yeah, I, to my, my, purpose, my purpose is to entertain, and like I personally feel that um, that audience is always going to be there. That's that's the audience that, that that matters the most, and the ones that don't, I feel, are also going to always exist. Um, and the numbers and the percentages, they'll, they'll go all, all over the place. So if it ends up being the 1% that, that ends up enjoying my music, then I'm going to focus on that 1%, I guess. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, I think it more also boils down to that, that I'm grateful for that 1% of uh, existing um, in the first place. Uh, what, how further to elaborate on that, really? I you focus on the good and you yeah you keep the good vibes coming from yeah just keep, keep the ones that, that send you the energy yeah you exactly right. keep the good vibrations going and um, the negative energy is only going to uh, hold you back even further and that kind of just keeps you away from your 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 own dream so you start doing it for yourself and that's the last thing you want to do Michelle would you agree with that and, and, would you see it that way as well or uh, do you have a different perspective I I, I would agree okay. So, uh, Norman, I think five years of podcasting. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Kind of speaks for itself. That I think really, I, I know you go through a lot of crap because, well, computers, audio, hardware, running all over the place, traveling here and there, even with the power stuff is not the same as the one you use at home. Um, pros are always the cons? Well, yeah, totally. I mean, if you were to ask me five years ago, I'll be on stage with a talented artist, um, a good friend, and an awesome musician. And I will say that, no, you're crazy. Yeah. Go, 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 you're crazy now. You're crazy? Tell me something I don't know. <laughs> but now, here, right now, I'm in awe. So, the rejection I got, the fluff I did, the broken MacBook Pro, it's totally worth it. Like, I'm here now. Doing this for five years and still going strong. I mean, other people who are doing this have quit, have stopped, and I just keep on going, even though I don't have the numbers. So I just keep going, and you can tell I really, really enjoy this. So you're kind of fed by your own positivity and 
you're in love for doing it as well. Yes, So ladies and gentlemen, as we wrap up, I think one key thing we can take back from this panel today is that whatever you want to do, maybe even beyond the scope of being behind a microphone, is really apologies to advanced skills. Never give up. We all agree with that, right? Yep. Yeah, with that, ladies and gentlemen, please give it, give a warm round of applause.